Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you listen to our podcast, you know this is by far our favorite element of homesteading. Having good livestock, uh, you know, animals that you get to work with every single day, I, I don't find any other joy not in gardening, not in foraging. I love hunting, uh, but that is a limited time of year. Spending some time every morning and every evening outside with my animals, there's nothing that compares to that, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about it during this lesson. I feel like livestock are the perfect employees. I grew up in a family-run business, and I saw my dad deal with lots of employees running that business. Some of them were great. They showed up when you wanted, to, wanted them to. They did hard work, and you could actually make money from them and share that with them and give it back to them, and, you know, what you earned. But a lot of them cost more money than they were worth. A lot of them were headaches. It was a, a crazy nightmare having employees. And when I started my business, here we are, the business homesteady, the farm we started, I knew I was never going to have employees like my dad did. But livestock, they're the perfect employee. If you set them up right, you can leave and you can go to work and you can come home and those chickens, they made you tomorrow's breakfast. They took all the, the feed and the bugs and the grass that's outside and they chewed it all up and they produced an egg that you get to eat for breakfast tomorrow. And if that chicken stops doing what you want it to, you can put it in the stew pot. <laughs> you don't get sued by the chicken. They don't want workman's comp. They don't want time off. They're the perfect employee. You're always earning something from them if you manage them the right way. And they're always giving back. And I really just enjoy being around the livestock, which also for me is something I didn't expect when we first got into this lifestyle. You all know I was green coming to this lifestyle. I didn't have any experience with livestock, no experience with any animals other than a dog. 
And now here I am, I got a YouTube channel where we teach every week about what we're doing with our livestock and we share our ups and downs and all that sort of thing. So they can really take you far. I love life with livestock. It's, it's really a wonderful thing. And they give you a lot. Think about it. Livestock can turn, a lot of livestock can turn grass into protein and fat, something that every human being needs to live. So that's incredible. They build fertility in your property. When you look at this picture of these cows mowing up the grass, they're actually, that picture was taken last week when I had them grazing. And here they are, they're out in the field, they're munching on grass, they're munching on uh, you know different kinds of weeds and grasses and forages. And they're processing that. They're turning that into manure, which is really good for the fields where they're grazing. But if I had a picture of, of pigs, I could be taking waste, our family's food waste, which is, I've heard figures as high as a third of what is in the dumps of the world, the, the refuse piles of the world is food waste. A lot of that can be fed to pigs and chickens. I always say, you know, pigs can turn anything into bacon. Jim Gaffigan says it best, they're magical creatures. They can turn an apple, essentially garbage, into bacon. So I botched the Jim Gaffigan line. But anyway, the point is they turn waste products into food and into fertility for your property and a lot of them can create really good cycles if you already have a garden if you already have produce that you're getting from the farmer's market you can take what you're not using and give to them and they give it back of course you get the labor from these employees you get the weed control the pest control if you get chickens out there we documented this a lot last season our cows were out on the pasture and they were pooping You'll notice some big fresh cow patties. The cow patties are currently in our farthest forward paddock where the cows are. Of course, those cow patties are the freshest ones. They are behind poultry netting. The chickens can't yet get to them. In this paddock, the one that we're about to move are two day old cow patties. They are still protected by our electric netting. At three day or four days old, you go through the netting and you find unprotected cow patties. These are now cow patties that the chickens have access to. And by three days, those poops were full of little maggots, flies that had gone and laid eggs in those poops. And you could scrape them open and you could see the maggots crawling through the poops. And I just lost all my viewers because they're disgusted. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But here we are, we see all these little maggots crawling through and then the chickens would come over and they'd scratch open the poops and they'd eat all those maggots. And it was just like a fantastic uh, pest elimination. So you get so much from these, these incredible workers on your property. And a lot of them will work for just pasture. Not all of them. Some of them you need to give a supplemental feed and we'll talk about that tonight. But some of them you can get to work this hard just for grass. So that's really incredible. These animals are incredible workers to have on your property. You leave for work in the morning, or even if you're like us and you don't leave, but you're inside in your house, they're at work, the chickens are out there scratching, and when you get back, that evening, they made breakfast for you for the next day. So there's your farm fresh eggs. But nothing in life is free. 
livestock do need things back from you. That's why they call it animal husbandry. It's like a marriage. You have to give, you have to take care of them as well as they take care of you. And there are some negative things about having livestock. One of the biggest ones is livestock will tie you to your property. If you have animals, you need to be on your property, not all day long, but you need to see your animals, I really suggest twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. Now there are times when life gets in the way and you have to go to the doctor or you have to go on a quick overnight somewhere and you can stock your animals up, give them double doses of everything and hope that nothing goes wrong. Life happens. But ideally, you get to see your animals twice a day. And if it's going to be an extended period of time that you can't be there with them, then you find somebody else who is able to handle these same animals and who can help you out. Confinement is necessary. So if you bring these animals onto your property, you're going to have to take care of keeping them there, not only for their safety, but for other people's safety too. You don't want your animals running around on the road, causing accidents. So that's your responsibility now that you have them. And in addition to fencing, you're going to have to set up a lot more infrastructure, which we'll talk about tonight, waterers and feeders and places to put feed and structures to house the animals. So there's an expense and there's a maintenance there. So having livestock is not for everyone. You have to make sure you're ready to take on this responsibility. But I can tell you this for a fact, there is no greater joy in homesteading then that first morning you go out after dealing with chickens for the last six months, working with them, watching them grow, and you find your first few eggs. That is such an exciting thing in the homesteading world. Or even if you get as far as the advanced stuff where you're breeding animals and you have that first successful birth. A lot of you saw the video where I helped pull Luna, her calf, grasshopper, Here's Luna, who we saw birthed on our homestead back in Connecticut. We were there for her birth, and now I'm pulling her calf. And that was one of my all-time favorite yeah. memories of homesteading. Come on. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Yep. Okay. Yes. So the highs with livestock are incredibly high. But with every peak is a valley, and the lows can be incredibly low. And one of the saddest moments of my homesteading life was the day that my daughter's goats passed away, both of the ones that we lost this year. Uh, so you have to know going into livestock that you're going to deal with highs, but you will deal with lows. And uh, you'll make mistakes and things will go wrong. If you're not ready to take on that responsibility, if you're not ready to deal with that, that's okay. Um, we're going to help you in this lesson kind of warm yourself up into you know, what the best beginning livestock is. And then we're going to help you get down the path where you have the least of those bad days. There will be bad days. If you have livestock, they're going to be bad days. But we want to get you set up where there's mostly good days. And that's the whole point of this lesson is to get you down the right path where you have mostly those incredible highs. And uh, we're going to start with what I would like to call the 10 golden rules of livestock. Now, you know rules. Uh, rules are, they say, made to be broken. <laughs> if you break these rules, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to be mad at you. But bad things may happen if you break these rules. These rules are specifically for newbies. So if you have limited livestock experience or zero, this course is for people who want to start homesteading. 
but I do know that some of you who are here live already have some experience or maybe even a lot of experience. You just want to you know, pick up a couple extra tidbits on some other kind of animal maybe you don't have experience with. So as we go through these next 10 rules, just remember if you have experience, they may not all apply to you, but they're great advice for the newbie, for the beginner, and really they're good advice for all of us. I should follow these 10 rules just like all of you should follow these 10 rules. And most of the time I do, and when I don't, things go wrong, and that's where these rules have come from. We have now been homesteading about a decade, and I have developed these 10 rules for livestock. The 10 golden rules of livestock have come from a decade's worth of homesteading experience, doing things the complete wrong way, seeing how badly it can get, and then on the flip side, doing things as best as we could and seeing it work really good. What came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't really care as long as the coop was already there. The first golden rule of livestock, all infrastructure must come first. All infrastructure must come first. I repeat it because it's so important. I don't care if the chicken or the egg comes first. I don't care what you hatch out first. Have the coop ready to go. If the coop isn't there and the water system and a place to put your feed and you go get chicks at Tractor Supply because they were cute and they were peeping and the guy at Tractor Supply said, oh, it's really easy. You just take them home and they're all, put them in a box and they're fine. You're going to have a nightmare on your hands. So think about the things all livestock need because it's all the same. It's the same thing that anything needs to survive in the world. It needs food, water, shelter. It will need medical treatment at times. Now, this may not apply to certain smaller meat animals and things. They might not live long enough where you have to worry about this sort of thing. Uh, but larger animals will need some medical treatment, so you'll need some supplies. All animals need a peaceful death. That's something as an animal husband you need to consider. There's going to be a time when the animal needs to die peacefully, and you need to be ready for that and prepared for that in whatever ways uh, you can be. So these are all things you're going to be needing to consider when you get into livestock. So what do you do? Well, you make sure you have your feed storage ready before the animal's there. That means rodent-proof storage. If you put feed bags on the ground, the mice and the rats are going to get in there. They're going to chew holes in it. Now you're going to have more mice and rats, and they're going to poop in the feed bags, and you're going to have a mess on your hands. We don't want that. What about waterers? Are you going to use waterers that freeze in the wintertime? If so, what are you going to do in the wintertime? How do you get water? Are you going to be carrying buckets? Medical supplies, where are you going to keep them? Do you have medicines on hand? Do you know how to store them? What happens if you have large livestock and one of them dies? Do you have somebody nearby who you can hire to run a backhoe and dig a hole or move the animal? You have to consider all these things before you get started. So don't haul buckets. If you think about, uh, we talked on the podcast one time about two different individuals. We told the story of two in different individuals who had to get water to a city. And one of them put two five-gallon buckets on his shoulders and hauled it back and forth and back and forth. And the other individual started laying a pipeline. And the guy hauling buckets started quicker and he got a lot more water to that city in the beginning. But once that pipeline was done, and the guy opened up the valve and the water came rushing in, the guy hauling buckets was out of a job. So don't haul buckets. Wherever you can, and this doesn't just apply to water, 
Set up systems that make your life easier because with the better infrastructure, you will have more time, energy, and happiness to spend on your animals and you'll be able to have more animals. You saw the upgrades we did on our channel this last year to our farm here. A lot of good upgrades means we can actually have more animals and we are getting a lot of new animals this upcoming season. So don't haul buckets, infrastructure first. The golden rule of livestock number two. Let's get to the second golden rule. Don't get too many or too few. So this will depend on the livestock, your experience, your amount of space. But if you're a beginner, kind of consider the number three as a magic number. Now, not for every animal, uh, but, but just a general starting place. So you're brand new to any animals at all and you wanna get a couple chickens. You don't wanna get one chicken because chickens, goats, pigs, cows, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply whatever you want to name for livestock, they're generally speaking all animals that come from a herd of some sort or a flock of some sort, which means they're used to being around other animals. They're social animals. Most people don't raise bears on their homestead. So whatever animals you're bringing on are going to be happier with other animals there. So let's say you're thinking about getting chickens. You shouldn't get just one chicken because it'll be a sad, lonely little chicken. In fact, if you go to MyPetChicken.com, not endorsed, not sponsored, just a thing I know, they sell chickens in minimums of three. They will not send you just one chicken. So three is a good starting place. But honestly, if it comes to chickens, I'd suggest you get a few more than three. That's why this magic number kind of flexes a little bit. But now if we go up to a different animal, like say you're thinking about getting goats, you definitely don't want to have one goat. If you've ever heard that podcast episode of ours or seen a video where we talked about we bought one pregnant goat, the very first goat we bought, we figured she's pregnant. In a week or two, she'll have her kids and she'll have other goats. She jumped over the fence and ran four miles to a goat farm. How she knew there was a goat farm four miles away from us over a mountain, I will never know. But sure enough, the next day, we got a call from these people. They'd found our goat. She was there hanging out with their goats. Goats, cows, sheep, chickens, pigs, all of them want to be around the others. But you also don't want to get too many when you're first starting off. So with goats, two or three is a good starting point if you've never owned them. You can get away with two. Uh, if you've never owned any, maybe that's a good starting spot. Uh, same with sheep, two or three. Cows, we started with just Ladybug, but she was pregnant. And then we had just Ladybug and Luna for a long time. And they were happy with two of them. So the larger the animal, you can scale back and maybe start with just one or two. Uh, but definitely if you have just one, for example, cow, have plans in the immediate future like we did with Ladybug to have a second. She was very far along pregnant. She was not as motivated as our goat to escape. She was actually 
from the people we had bought her from. She was the only cow there at the time. So she was used to being solitary, but she cheered up a lot once Luna arrived. And now she's really happy. She's got three, three buddies out there. So try no matter what the animal is to get not too many, not too few. Let's talk about the third golden rule of livestock. Don't start with breeders, start with feeders. So if you don't know what a feeder is, I got a pig of, a picture of a pig up there. Pigs, if you go and buy them from somebody who has breeding stock and is selling what they call feeders, that's like an eight-week-old piglet that's sold to people like me who buy them, raise them up till they're about 300 pounds, and then take them to the butcher to put in the freezer. So don't buy a male and a female pig for your first two pigs with plans that you're going to breed them. And then from their young, you're going to take what you have and uh, start eating. Instead, start with the feeders because you're going to learn so much about that animal through just buying a couple feeders that you'll be in a much better place to actually handle things like actually breeding pigs or managing a large animal. When you think about a, a feeder pig, a feeder pig grows to be about 350 pounds max. You don't want them much bigger than that when you take them to get processed. That's just where they start getting to be the age where they're breeding. So if your only experience with pigs ever is this first two that you have, and you're real hands-on with them, and they're like your little buddies, and now they're 600 pounds, you can get really hurt. So it's much better to learn with feeders and then upgrade to breeders. So how does this apply to animals other than, for example, pigs? Uh, look at chickens. You could buy point-of-lay chickens where they're ready to start laying eggs and get used to taking care of adult point-of-lay chickens. Uh, you can buy chicks, but don't buy a rooster and a hen and have them breed and then hatch the chicks for your very first experience because there's too many different things you're going to have to learn. Uh, same with goats. Don't buy an adult doe and adult buck and have them plan on breeding on your homestead. Instead, maybe buy two kids, three kids. You could buy a pregnant doe and a kid that's already there and have three. Uh, again, don't plan on breeding that first year. Learn how to deal with these animals. Learn how they work. Learn what you like and what you don't like. Because one of the best things about breeding is you get to be a little bit selective as to what you want to see change in your future livestock and so you have to actually have an idea of what you want to change the first time you have two animals there you don't know what you like and what you don't like you're not really going to be sure how to breed them breeding is a very advanced element we didn't start breeding livestock for years it wasn't until our cows and our goats that we really started getting into breeding and we've learned a ton over the years to breeding different animals so don't start off with plans of breeding that's uh, that's next level stuff the next golden rule of livestock, number four, uh, this one you may have heard on the podcast, a free cow isn't free. A free cow isn't free. So there's a story behind this. Kay and I were getting interested in the idea of owning a cow. I should say Kay was getting interested. I was not very interested in that at the beginning. 
And we were trying to, you know, go on cow field trips and learn as much as we could. And while she was looking around, seeing who had cows, who was selling cows, she found somebody on Craigslist who was selling a full-size jersey uh, for a very reasonable, I shouldn't even say reasonable, it was very cheap, very cheap cow. So she was like, I want to go and see it. I just want to go see what it's, you know, looks like and just learn a bit more about it. So I said, okay, let's go. So we went and see this cow. And we saw the place and we asked the guy a bunch of questions and, you know, we're looking hard at the situation and we could afford this cow. It was very, very cheap. Uh, and she looked fine. But as we started asking questions, you know, how is she milking? Oh, well, she's okay. You know, she'll kick you once or twice, you know, but, but if you set her straight, then she'll stop that. And you can always imagine people who say like a little bit of what's wrong. You got to magnify that because they want to sell the animal. So they're going to tell you like, if it's, 10 times bad, they'll tell you like it's three times bad, right? Oh, it's kind of bad, but it's probably way worse than what they're saying. Not because people are being dishonest, but you know, they got to put a polish on the car they're going to sell. And that's, you know, oh, well, she'll kick you a little bit, but uh, you know, you can set her straight means, oh, she kicks. We're new to this milking thing. We don't want to be out there milking and getting kicked in the face by a cow. So we talked a lot about it and we decided, you know what? We don't want to buy this cow. And so we said, thank you very much. We had at the time told the guy about what we had, the farm, uh, told him about what was going on up there and all this sort of thing. And later on, he called us. He said, listen, I really like what you guys are doing. I really like this cow. I want to see her go to a good home. I will give her to you for free. We were like, free? This was back when like things were really tight and we were thinking about getting into cows. And cows are not a cheap animal, so... A free cow seemed really, really, mm, like that might be something to try. And we've wound up saying no, because this wasn't the right cow. It wasn't the right situation. And just because she was free to, to take onto the farm didn't mean it was going to be free to have her. Think about every cow needs to be fed hay, needs to some, if you're going to breed that cow, there's going to be expense going into the breeding. You're going to need to buy equipment to milk that cow, even if it's just a stainless steel milk pail, that's expensive. Uh, you're going to need to spend tons of time working with this animal, training the animal, working with the animal, milking the animal. Just because this cow was free to bring onto the homestead didn't mean she was free to have forever. So it wasn't just like a tap that you turn on and milk comes pouring out. A free cow isn't free. With livestock, often the case, you get what you pay for. Sometimes you can find quality at a reduced price, and usually there's a pretty good reason for that. Someone has great quality animals, but they're getting older, and they just want to see them go to a good home. Um, someone has great quality animals, but they've come down with some kind of sickness or disease, and they want to see their animals go to a good home and Sometimes you can get a deal on a good quality animal, but rarely do you get a free cow who is a really good quality cow. That's pretty much unheard of. So remember, a free cow isn't free. You get what you pay for. Look for quality. If you can't afford a good quality cow, then maybe look for a good quality goat. And if you can't afford a good quality goat, maybe get yourself a good quality chicken because when you get cheap livestock, you will pay much more to repair the problems that they come with in the long run. Good quality livestock 
bought from the right source, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, will work really well and it will save you money and, and ideally it will earn you profit, whether that's in the form of food or livestock that you sell in the future or produce that you're selling and making money from. Let's go on to the fifth golden rule of livestock. The fifth golden rule we talk about a lot on our channel, don't fall for the natural myth. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what the natural myth is because we are big believers in mimicking natural systems on our homestead. The natural myth is this. Listen to the exact quote here. Ready? If I do things the way they're done in nature, then I will have no problems on my homestead. A lot of times you'll see this in social media, in the comments section, there's people making videos that talk about this kind of idea where if you just do what's out there in nature, all your animals are gonna be healthy, everything's gonna go smoothly, just like it does in nature. Nature is full of problems. Just to give you an example, I was looking at a study in the state of Pennsylvania to see how many deer fawns die every year. So deer go out, they get bred in the fall, spring comes and they have their fawn. And if they have that fawn in the woods, that fawn has a one in two chance of surviving. It's like the Hunger Games. That fawn has a 50% chance that it will die. On your homestead, you do you probably, I'm going to guess, do not want to see one out of every two animals die if you weren't planning on having them die and butchering them. Uh, when it comes to the young on your livestock, you don't want to see one out of every two die. You want to see them thrive and live. And that's not to say we want to nurse along an unhealthy animal or keep breeding an animal that has bad genetics or you know shouldn't keep being in the gene pool. But you're not going to want to see one out of every two of the animals that come to life on your homestead die before they're supposed to. So you're probably not ready to take on what Mother Nature, what the outside world, whatever you want to call it, the wild, uh, you're not ready to handle what is happening out there on your own homestead. Financially, that would be really hard to do. If one out of every two of my mini Jersey calves died, I would be losing a lot of profit there, a lot of produce quality. Uh, that would be awful. And then emotionally, that would be really hard. We had two of our does die this year out of the six or seven goats we had. And that was really hard to deal with as the family, you know, the kids dealing with that kind of loss. So we can't mimic nature and expect completely and expect to have better odds if we just open the gates and let our animals live in the woods and don't manage them and think everything's going to work out fine. It's not, and we're going to have a really hard time. Agriculture is not nature, and this is what we talk about a lot with the natural myth. Um, agriculture is very different than nature. When you think about a goat, goats come from the mountainous areas and the deserts. So picture a goat jump out in maybe New Zealand jumping along the mountainous regions there. And, and it has unlimited amount of space to jump around. As it jumps around those rocks, it's wearing its hoofs down. So it's jumping around the rocks. It doesn't need anybody to trim its hoofs. Predators are coming for that goat. And so it's got its horns to protect it. And it's going to ram those predators with the horns. And it'll be safe that way. The goat is a browser, not a grazer. So he's going and chewing on the tops of the bushes all around. As he poops, the worms that are in his poop, if there are any there, 
are going to crawl up into the grass and the highest they can go is four inches high. But that wild goat doesn't need to chew down at the four inch high grazing. He's a browser. He's chewing up here, eating the, br the brush and the shrubs. He's never going to be digesting those worms and increasing his worm load. A wild goat lives happily in the wild, in nature. The natural way that goats have lived all these years works great in nature for most of the goats, maybe not all of them, but a lot of goats can thrive. Out there in New Zealand, there's all kinds of goats out there breeding. That's where the Kiko goats came from. You take a Kiko goat or any other goat for that matter, a dairy goat, and you pull them away from the mountains, away from the deserts. You do what we did with our goats and you stick them in a small pen where they don't have a lot of space to move and they have a lot of moisture. You're going to have problems like we did. And that's why we tried using chemical dewormers to deal with that problem. And uh, this is a whole other topic we talked about a lot on our channel this year. But the point is we had to use chemical dewormers to fix the problem because we were not treating our goats. We were not giving them unlimited access to the mountainous regions. And most of us don't have that on our homesteads. Most of us don't have unlimited land where they can just run free and then we go and harvest them when the time comes. Disbudding goats is not fun taking the hot iron to them and stopping the horns. But having a goat skewer your leg with its horns is also not fun. When we made the video about disbudding goats, why we do it, we had people email us pictures of goat horns that had gone through their calves and through their legs because they were working in the goat yard, not paying attention, and one of their bucks came and ran them, and they said, I will never not disbud again. It's not fun. It's not the natural way. But when they're in confinement, it may be the best decision for you. I'm not telling you you have to use chemical dewormers. I'm not telling you you have to disbud your goats. Uh, I'm not telling you how to have your livestock. I'm just reminding you that agriculture is different than nature. And you may have to do some things that farmers decide to do that don't happen in the natural world because agriculture is different. And it presents its own unique set of circumstances. And that's how we have to make decisions. Let's move on to the golden rule of livestock number six. The golden rule of livestock number six is always have an exit strategy. Animals are expensive to keep. Uh, they take time. They take money. They, yeah, they take a lot. <laughs> and if you decide you're not happy with the particular animal that you have, you can't just take it and drop it off at Goodwill or, you know, open your gate and kind of just let it go. You need to be able to find a new home, whether that's at another farm or in your freezer, for this livestock. So it's good to have an exit strategy. This is very easy with meat animals. And this is why you'll see I really suggest that you start with meat animals. If you get yourself a turkey like we have in the picture here, and he takes six months to get to full size, and you decide you don't like raising turkeys... Then you just butcher him and you put him in the freezer and your problems are over. <laughs> There's your exit strategy. But if you went and got yourself a mini Jersey heifer or a mini Jersey cow and a heifer and now you got a couple mini Jerseys and they're very valuable animals and you spent a lot of money on them and you realize, I don't like milking a cow every day. I don't want to have a mini Jersey anymore. How are you going to find a new home for that animal? Do you have contacts that might be interested in purchasing it? Do you know that there's a, uh, another farm nearby that might be interested in it? It's always good to have an idea of how you can have an exit strategy. 
we have looked into some very different livestock over the years. And one of the things we check out is the livestock auctions in our area. What do those animals go for at the livestock auctions? Because you can usually sell an animal at a livestock auction. You won't get probably what you spent if you bought a good quality animal. Uh, but you can have an idea of what you're going to lose if you have to go and sell them at the auction. That's usually the way you wind up. If you can't find anybody, the last resort is either freezer or livestock auction. And if you have good quality you know, dairy genetics, you hate to see that go into the freezer. Some people, if you decide that that's okay, it's up to you, it's your animal. Uh, but sometimes you just say, no, I want to see this animal keep going and keep breeding. It's good quality animal. It's just not for me. And so you got to know where that's going to go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is, uh, brings us to the golden rule of livestock number seven. And this one kind of fits right with it. Uh, start with small animals and meat animals or egg animals are the best. And that partially is because of what we just talked about. Having that exit strategy, uh, when you have a small meat animal like this chicken here, this Cornish cross that's looking at you, you don't like the Cornish cross, you don't like the breed, well, you butcher them, you put them in the freezer, and you never order any more again. Problem solved. Uh, but there are more reasons to start with small animals and meat animals. So if you eat meat and you're planning on raising your own meat, uh, meat animals are a great place to start. I think about chickens. You can, with Cornish crosses, build yourself a very inexpensive chicken tractor. I one time built a chicken tractor for about 100 bucks, and that was buying all the wood I had to buy. If you have wood lying around, you can fashion something. It's not going to work great. It's not going to be awesome. It's not going to be a John Siskovich chicken tractor. You could build a John Siskovich chicken tractor for about 200 and I think it's $50. And as a pioneer, you get a discount to his book. You can find out. Under Pioneers, if you click Discounts, you'll find all the discounts you get. John gives uh, all our Pioneers a discount to his products. Uh, so for about 250 bucks, you can have a Siskovich-style chicken tractor. That's not going to work for chickens in the wintertime, but that's why it's good to start with meat animals because meat chickens you can run through spring, summer, and fall and then take the winter off and eat chicken all winter because they're in your freezer and uh, you don't have to worry about buying or building an expensive insulated coop or barn. Coops are a lot more money if you want to buy an already made one. You can build your own, but it's still going to be more money than 100 or 200 bucks to make a little chicken tractor. So good place to start. And not just for chickens. Think about pigs. Uh, feeder pigs, you can get in April. Or I would really suggest if you live a little bit more north like we do in, in Connecticut too, maybe you wait to the end of May or even early June. If you get them at the end of May, early June, it's warm enough where your feeder pigs can stay in just like a three-walled structure. That's what we had for pigs. We didn't have pigs in the barn ever. We just had them in like a three-wall ceiling with two walls and a back where they could go under. There was a lot of hay. They stayed in that thing spring, summer, fall. And then because they're meat animals, we in the fall would take them all to the butcher. And all winter long, we didn't have to worry about watering pigs or putting pigs in a warmer barn 
Meat animals are so much easier, especially if you're not breeding them, if you're just buying feeders, like we said you should when you first start. So that's a good way to get your feet. Now, in time, you can change from the meat and the eggs. If you like raising meat chickens, try some egg layers. If you like raising meat pigs, you think I could do larger livestock, that's maybe the good time to get into the dairy thing if you're interested in doing the dairy thing. Uh, but the, one of the best things is not only is it easy to rehome these animals if they go into your freezer, small animals are easy to rehome, period. It's much harder to find or sell, find a new home or sell a cow than it is to find a new home or sell a chicken. So start with small animals. Meat animals and egg animals are great. Let's go to the eighth golden rule of livestock. I made a bit, another video. If you go on our channel, you'll find it about this. You are not Joel Salatin, or you could put Greg Judy in there. You could put any of the you know big names in the sustainable ag world. You could put any YouTuber name. You are not Joel Salatin, so don't try to be year one. And the reason that I don't farm like Joel Salatin has to do with Jedi's. This. Sweet. Whatever you see on your favorite homesteading channel, whatever you read in a book, whatever you know Joel Salatin does, and I use Joel Salatin because he's just about the biggest name in the, the slow food and the you know small-scale ag world. Um, Joel Salatin is a master at what he does. He's able to raise his animals out on grass. He moves them frequently, and he's able to make a lot of money doing that. Greg Judy, who I watch Greg Judy's videos Every video he puts out, I watch. I love Greg Judy's channel. I love the information. He's got an amazing herd of animals that are completely grass-fed. He's moving them twice a day. But I'm not Greg Judy. I haven't been doing this for 30 years. I don't have the experience that he does to do what he does as well as he does it. So I shouldn't try to be, and same with you watching, you shouldn't try to be Joel Salatin in your first year. Let's use Joel Salatin with chickens. He uses chicken tractors to move all his chickens across the field. When you get six chickens, uh, chicken tractor is cheap to build and you can move them. Uh, but honestly, it's much easier to have a chicken coop if you can afford the coop. Just get yourself a chicken coop and run. It's so much easier when you have just six chickens to have a coop and run. Chicken tractors, you got to move frequently. And again, they don't work in the wintertime. Uh, when you get your first pigs... Pasturing them through the woods and moving them a lot, that is a lot of work. It's a lot easier to have pigs in just a permanent spot and bring them slop. This is the case with most animals. When you first get them, it's much easier to keep them in a barn or in a dry lot, learn about them, learn how to handle them, learn how to work with them, how to feed them, how to recognize the good and the healthy and the bad. Before you start trying to move them every day out in the backyard and you know feed them grass every day, those more advanced things that you see guys like Joel Salatin and Greg Judy doing, work towards that, but don't expect to do that your first year. The first year you have a couple pigs, don't try to move them through the woods the whole time because you got to know how to fence pigs and how to work pigs when they're out of your fence. And that's going to happen a lot more if you're moving them through the woods a lot. 
So just get familiar with the animals. Don't try to be an expert. In the video we made on our channel about this, you can search Homesteady Joel Salatin. It probably will pop up. Um, I compared it to, because I'm a Star Wars fan, I compared it to Jedi's. Whether it's snowboarding, surfing, gardening, farming, homesteading, uh, when you first start doing it, you have to develop experience and feel. And I point to Luke Skywalker. Think about Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. Obi-Wan knew that the Force was going to be strong with him. He knew he had the potential there. But that first time he held a lightsaber, you remember what that was like? Let me just, uh, how's this? Oh, yeah, now. Ready? It was all like. Ow! Gonna hurt somebody with that. <laughs> Gotta watch my dogs. You could butcher a pig real quick with a lightsaber, though. That would be pretty nice. Just cut it right in half. Then it would probably cook the entire thing. Anyway. In the very beginning of A New Hope, Luke was new, despite the fact that he had potential and he was inspired, uh, the Force was not strong with him. It took at least a whole movie for him to get any good with a lightsaber. And when compared to Obi-Wan, I would argue Luke never got as good at Obi-Wan with a lightsaber. You watch Episode 3, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Obi-Wan is way better with a lightsaber than Luke ever became. Luke became very strong with the Force, as we saw in the last installment of the Star Wars saga, where he did something totally new and had that forced appearance from another world. So he got good in his own way. He never got as good as Obi-Wan in lightsaber duels, I would argue but he developed his own skills. He learned from Obi-Wan, he probably learned from Yoda, he learned from a little bit here and a little bit there, and he formed his own Jedi skill set. And I feel like that's the way, as a new homesteader, you want to approach, whether you're interested in Joel Salatin, Alan Savory, or if your mentor is a guy like Tom Dexter, my mentor for pigs. Uh, he was a 4-H guy. His pigs were not on pasture. They were on concrete. He was totally from a commercial pig farming background. Uh, no like permaculture, no organic, no nothing. But the guy had tons to teach me about pigs. Like Luke Skywalker or any other Jedi, we want to learn from different mentors. We want to take things from different people that inspire us. Meanwhile, not feeling bad or trying too quickly to be that person. There's a reason the Jedi Order had Padawan, and then Jedi Knights, and then Jedi Masters. This is the second time I've used Jedis and Padawans in this course, but you know, Star Wars, most of you get it. Uh, don't try to do expert level things when you first get started. Work your way up. Make that the goal. That's an awesome goal to do what Joel Salatin does or to do what Greg Judy does or whoever you follow and want to be like. If they have proof of concept, it's great to shoot for that. But give yourself little steps to get there. Don't get started there. Golden rule of livestock number nine is kind of related to that. You see people, especially on YouTube, talking about starting a business from the farm. Don't start a business, and I was going to say your first year, but I changed it to until you have experience, and really what I meant is enough experience. 
So don't start a livestock business until you have enough experience. There are a lot of videos on YouTube and a lot of podcasts and books out there, how to make a living farming. I have a lot of videos where I talk about how to earn money with your animals and how to earn money from chickens and pigs and this and that. And I've interviewed people who you know, quit their job and are now just doing livestock full time. And it's, it's a great path if you're into it and you enjoy it and you're good at it. But like any career, we talked at the beginning of this class about a surgeon who goes into the room and has zero experience and says, I'm ready to do surgery. It goes, the same rule applies to starting a livestock business. Some people start talking, oh man, I can't wait. I'm going to buy my homestead next year. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to get a bunch of chickens and pigs and I'm going to sell chicken. I'm going to sell pork. Oh, awesome. Did you have experience with chicken? before oh no i've never earned any chickens but i watch a bunch of videos i know if i do five chicken tractors and i fill them all with 40 chickens and i move them each day on the pasture uh, then i can sell them for this much money at the end of the year and it's all going to work out great that sounds good and it works for john siskovich but it probably won't work for you that first year because you don't again you're not joel salatin you're not john siskovich you're not greg judy you're not you know fill in the blank um Pigs, same thing. Oh, man, I, I watched all the videos. I'm going to get 10 pigs. I can sell them. Austin Homestead, he sells his pigs for $1,200. People will pay that in, in certain areas of the world where they make a lot of money and uh, will pay for a whole pig. And he's making a killing off his pig. So I'm going to do 10 of them, and that way I profit $10,000 from pigs my first year. Do you have any experience with pigs? What happens if you make a mistake and all the pigs die and you took a bunch of deposits? Because one year we had... 12 pigs, brought them home, and they all got sick. All right, we're going to perform our first pig sticking. By that, I mean we're giving a pig a shot. We're not killing a pig, hopefully. Yep, right in the ham. Like a pro. Our pigs were starting to develop a cough. Some of them had a short wheeze. So I called up my pig mentor, Tom Dexter, and he said it looked like pneumonia in the pigs. Now, I had experience with pigs when that happened. I had been running a not only the pig farm for years, but I'd also been running the business. And each year we grew from two pigs to three to four to six to 12. So now I knew what a healthy pig looked like and what a sick pig looked like. And the minute I saw those pigs were sick, I didn't dilly-dally and say, no, we'll see if nature takes its course. I knew right away something's wrong. So I called my mentor. I said, what's wrong with these pigs? They don't look like every other pig I've ever got from you. He said, tell me what happened. Hmm, sounds like pneumonia. Treat them with this fast. We did. We saved every pig. We never lost one. I had already taken on all 10 pigs is what I was selling. I had taken deposits on 10 pigs. I took about a $300 deposit on my pigs. So there's $3,000 if they died, and it was my first year doing this, I would then have to go buy 10 more at $90 a pig. That's 900 more dollars. And now I'm down almost $4,000 because I was a beginner and I got in too deep and I made a mistake that uh, an advanced or even like a mediocre livestock person wouldn't make but a newbie might make. And I know this because people email me and say, oh, I had a pig last year that died. What was it? Oh, it was like this. It was pneumonia. You should have treated it like this. 
It can happen fast. So don't start a business. Now, this doesn't mean you can't put the cooler on the side of the road and put a dozen eggs in it and say, you know, $4 per egg. It means don't start a business, you know, an official like go out and quit your job and get a bunch of customers. Warm yourself up. Learn about the animal. It takes time. All good things take time. It's a bummer. You think, oh, man, I could, I'm could. i raising two pigs this year. I could raise a third one and I could make some money from it. That'll come if you're good at it and if you like it. And if not, you're not losing out on that much because you never make that much money from selling food, especially in the beginning you won't. Uh, so just give it the time it needs. Don't start the business until you have the experience that you need. Finally, uh, if you are getting livestock, golden rule number 10 of livestock has to do with where you get it. Only buy livestock from a trusted source. So what do I mean by a trusted source? This doesn't mean that you have to buy livestock from a friend or someone you know well. There are ways to add trust to a source. But generally speaking, I won't buy an animal from an auction. I won't buy an animal at the fair. If I have no experience with this animal and I don't have any experience with this person, I'm not going to buy it. Ideally, who you should buy animals from is someone who is a mentor. We talked about this in the first lesson, finding mentors, people who are doing what you want to do, help them out, learn from them, and then tell them, hey, the minute you have an animal for sale, I want it. And wait an extra year if you have to for that animal because in the long run, you'll be much better off than if you go and you rush it. My first pigs I bought from Tom Dexter. I talk about him all the time. He was my pig mentor. He was the guy who saved those 12 pigs that I had all sick from pneumonia. He knew right away how to handle it. He was one phone call away. He would not sell me pigs until I came to his farm and took a tour. And that's the kind of person you want to buy livestock from. Because he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want to buy pigs, but you've never had them? Why don't you come here? I'll tell you what you need. I'll show you around the pig farm. That way I know you'll be successful. And when you're successful, you'll come back the following year and buy more pigs from me. And he was right. I came back every year and bought more pigs from Tom. And every year I talk about Tom on the channel, somebody emails me and says, hey, can I have Tom's email? Can I have Tom's number? And I pass it along. And Tom's business has grown because he's a good guy to buy livestock from. You don't want to buy from Craigslist if you got no experience with this person and they're just like, hey, uh, goat for sale, come and buy. Now, that doesn't mean if they're not your mentor, you can't buy from them. So how are ways you can get more trust in what they tell you? Well, tests don't lie. So if you find an animal that someone says is on Craigslist uh, that is you know, a healthy animal, gives good quality milk, disease-free, blah, 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 whatever it is, test it out. Go there, taste the milk, see the milk, send the milk in for a test. If the person's like, they, no, they're not going to pay for the test. You'll have to pay for the tests. You say, hey, I'd like to get this test done and this test done. I want to check for diseases. We bought our cows. They were disease-free cows. We had to spend a lot more money, but we have a disease-free closed herd. There's no disease in our cows on this homestead, and that was really important to us. We didn't want to get the free cow that might have had some diseases and we wound up dealing with and struggling with. So do the tests to make sure that what you're being sold is actually what you're getting. Buy from a well-known source like a hatchery. If you're getting your first chickens, 
and you go and you order chickens from Mount Healthy or Myers or Murray and McMurray, wherever you order from, you know they know what chicken breeds are. They're going to send you the right ones. They're going to send you good quality ones. And if chicks die, they're going to send you a couple extra in case that happens. And if all your chicks die because of some error in transit, they'll replace them all for you. You're not going to get that on Craigslist most of the time. So buy from a trusted source. Another way you can find out the history of the animal, see if it's accurate, buying registered animals. One of the reasons we like to buy purebred registered animals is I can trust the breed and the register to give me the information I'm looking for more than I would trust somebody on Craigslist who I don't know. So if someone on Craigslist is selling a registered animal that's a purebred mini jersey that is registered, I can look at the register. That person can tell me whatever they want. I can look at the register and see, okay, this is actually true. This is actually true. This is actually true. So that's worth it. If you follow these golden rules of livestock, they can bring a lot of joy to your homestead. You can really enjoy having them. Now let's talk about what is the right livestock for the beginner. Hey, podcast listeners, I hope you enjoyed what you just heard. That was about two-thirds of the entire lesson in our fourth lesson, Your First Livestock, which is a lesson in our Start Homesteading Today course. I have a special announcement. As of today, the Start Homesteading Today course you can take for free. All you have to do is click on the link in this podcast description that will take you to our email list. So sign up to the email list. As soon as you sign up to the email list, I will send you an invitation and tell you how you can take the Start Homesteading Today course. It is five lessons. They're all an hour plus in-depth lessons that are going to help you start homesteading today and grow that homestead. We cover purchasing land. We cover your first garden. We cover livestock. We talk about how to grow it all so that you don't burn out and, you know, give up in the end. This lesson is now free for anybody who's on our email list. So go to thisishomesteady.com and on the home page there, there's a button front and center that says join the email list. Click here. Click that. Join the email list. I will instantly send you an email that will invite you to take this course and all you have to do is follow the steps in that email. You'll have immediate access to the first lesson. And over the next few weeks, you'll get each lesson. You'll be able to take that lesson. I hope it helps you start homesteading. And I hope you enjoyed this lesson. This wasn't the full lesson. Uh, what you just heard was about two-thirds of the full lesson. There's a little bit more there at the end for you about what livestock I think beginners should have. And if you want to learn what livestock I think is best for beginners, Go ahead and sign up to take the course. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it.